Um, I'm uh, Don Thompson. I am the Director of Global Health Outreach, part of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. A brief word from our sponsors. Have you all picked up any of these um, passport to missions from CMDA? Very few of you have. This is good for a free iPad or a free um, admission to our regional convention, our national convention next April in in, uh, Asheville, North Carolina. Or most valuable is 50% off the project fees on one of our global health outreach trips. You need to pick one of these up at one of the eight CMDA booths in the back of uh, the first floor exhibit hall. Then there are two pages where you will get your passport stamped when you visit all eight of our booths. And then you will fill out, fill out this little bit of information, turn it in at the eighth booth. You do not have to be present to win. I am ineligible for getting the iPad. So that in, just increased your odds dramatically. I do not stuff ballot boxes, but I did live in New Orleans for a few years. Not that there's any association there what, whatsoever. Well, um, welcome. I'm uh, going to talk about planning a bit. The uh, track that we're on is planning short-term medical missions. I am a uh, skunk poker by trade. I like to improve things. I'm an innovator and a change agent, and I do that by poking skunks um, without getting sprayed. Has anyone in here been on a global health outreach trip before? Okay, keep your hands up if I've been the team leader. Good. That's much. No, you haven't. I I recognize most of the people who have been on teams with me. I've been asleep through some of them. Um, Good. None of the stories I am going to tell you then will involve any of you all. Um, So anyway, I want to talk about short-term medical missions. This is in contrast to long-term. This is in contrast to... to, uh, um, missions that are primarily focused on medical education or community health education or preventive health. Um, I'm a firm believer in all of those. I'm a family practice doc first, a preventive medicine doc second. Um, I just retired from the Air Force after 27 years, about two and a half, three years ago. Um, I'm a firm believer in prevention and also in changing huge bureaucracies. I understand how difficult it is. Um, I've been involved in adjusting a few huge bureaucracies, one of which is the Defense Department, and um, with some success sometimes. And in my training and experience, I've been through a lot of things about medical planning. So what I'm doing is applying that to our short-term medical missions efforts at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, and we're going to blast through three big areas um, in uh, in about the next 42 or 41 or whatever I'm down to now. I want to focus on three big areas of of, um, short-term medical missions. Two of them are are equivalent, and that is spiritual growth on our team and spiritual growth through our national partner in the area we go. Those are our primary, not yet, those are our primary goals tied for number one is spiritual growth. We want to build disciples within our team, and we want to build disciple-makers in the, area, in the areas where we're working. Third, or second choice, I guess, if we have no third choice, if it's tied for first place, then the next choice is third choice, is using our medical, dental, and surgical toolkit to do that, to open doors for our national partner, to go in areas to evangelize, to make disciples, and then to uh, 
get some of our, our uh, team members out of their comfort zone. Any surgeons in the audience? Any orthopedic surgeons in the audience? Sir, what's a bleeder to you? What's what? A bleeder. A bleeder? One you can hear. That's my only orthopedic surgery joke, so I've got it all out, so the rest is, the rest is clean. Six, a six-pack is fine. A six-pack of, of, uh, of uh, blood and platelets is just fine. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about surgery and medicine and dentistry, um, but the tools that we carry, be those my otoscope and ophthalmoscope and stethoscope in one hand or your anesthesiologist and, an, and anesthesia machine and hospital that you require with the other hand or dentists and the stuff that they can carry with a couple of, a couple of uh, suitcases, those are just tools to open doors. The, the, uh, the Lord did short-term medical missions. Everyone he touched died. Everyone he healed died. One guy died twice. Actually, two or three people died twice. We all know about Lazarus and a few other and a few others that he raised from the dead, and they died. Twi- they died a second time, but he his main focus was disciple making by rubbing off. So that's what we do. Now, there are challenges with short term medical missions or challenges with long term medical missions, but I would uh, say to you that the challenge is not lack of resources. Our God is not a miserly God who has a little bag of resources that he gives either to short term missions or to long-term missions or to your church. Um, I've read somewhere that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And when you're ready to, re- to handle some of those cattle, he just elbows a couple of those hills and some of those cattle will roll down the hill in your direction into your, into your uh, uh, feed lot. And then you can put that to work. Until you've got those plans in place, until you've got the processes in place and the partnership in place, the experience in place, I sure hope God doesn't give you massive amounts of money because it probably won't be spent real well. Should I make any analogies to our federal government? No, I probably shouldn't, so I won't, but I just did. What are, what are some of the problems we see in uh, short-term medical missions? What are, what are some of the alleged problems that people have said? Lots of time, lots of money, little bang for, for the buck. Tropical vacation for most team members. Um, We build resentment because we go in there and we act as the ugly American. We develop dependencies. There are a few books on that. By the way, last slide's packed with with, uh, references for you to do more more, uh, reading, more learning. And then then the uh, allegation of very little long-term change. So so these are are alleged problems, and I would say that these are all too often um, real problems. What are, uh, what are our desired outcomes? Well, we want our short-term efforts, our team, to integrate very smoothly with our national partner. We want our partners to look forward to us coming. Sure, they're going to look forward to us leaving, but we want that just to be because they're tired and they now have more work to do because they're going to be following up on an awful lot of people. We certainly want to see long-term physical needs met. I can treat some kid for otitis or deworm somebody, and the odds are that they're going to get worms again and they're going to get otitis again. But what's the key? That long-term, those long-term spiritual needs. When people learn that the hope and compassion we offer is named Jesus Christ, then you meet some long-term capacity. As someone said uh, in the uh, plenary session a few, a few hours ago, 
Um, we certainly want to uh, improve spiritual capacity and medical capacity. What he said was, you know, the old uh, give a man a fish, he eats for a day, give a man, teach a man to fish, and he sits in his boat and drinks beer. Well, um, we want to increase the capacity to make disciples. We want to facilitate that, that growth where we can. And where we can, we want to facilitate the development of medical capacity, rub, rub off on the physicians, the dentists, the medical students, the dental students, the pharmacists, the pharmacy students, um, physical therapists, whomever we can work with in a particular setting, we want to rub off on them and we want to learn from them. So that does go two ways. So those are our desired outcomes. What are the problem areas within our team? I'm going to now unpack this uh, group by group. Our problems within our team, you guys can still see something over there, right? I, I am constrained from walking more than 10 feet this way. One, because I trip her, but second, because I'm taped to the floor. But, yeah, you can see things. Um, what are the challenges with the team? Um, challenges that we have, and I just got – we just talked a little bit about this just a few hours ago. When your team doesn't have the right focus, doesn't understand that the focus is you're not going there to save the world with your, with your uh, medical skills, your surgical skills, your dental skills. You're going to open the door so that spiritual work can be done alongside. So that's one challenge is the team doesn't understand that. So it's very important to, uh, to cover that right up front when you're, when you're forming your team, when your team, your team is not starting to form once you've arrived in country or you meet at the airport in Atlanta or Houston or JFK or wherever you're flying out of. That starts months in advance. Spiritual immaturity, you'll always have spiritually mature people on your team and, and people who are less spiritually mature. You'll have sheep. You'll have very mature sheep. You'll have pre-sheep. You'll have goats. <laughs> And you'll have wolves. So, so you need to develop a certain sensitivity so that you can figure that out. I'm looking for my iPhone. I have not yet found the iPhone app that tells me who is being regenerated by the Holy Spirit, who's being called by the Father. Um, I'm still I'm, – I check daily in the, in the, uh, in the app store and, and have just not found that yet. Until then, we have to trust that by, our, by outward works, we can sometimes get an indicator. But we see people on our teams who move from that goat to pre-sheep to sheep to mature sheep um, stage. And I, I suggest that you want to make that very intentional. You don't consider it a failure. Somebody's not come on your team who is a goat or who is a wolf. You need to learn how to manage them. As Mark Driscoll says, we want to we want to uh, care for the sheep and we want to shoot the wolves. We don't do that literally, but if you know that there's somebody who's coming along who's a little bit disruptive, they might be a disruptive sheep who are having a bad day. But you still have to wall them off. You still have to surround them and protect the rest of the sheep from further damage while you can uh, either resuscitate the sheep or barbecue them. <laughs> And Barbie, no, we don't do euthanasia. No, I heard that. We, but we have sent people home. People have, we've given them a choice. Here, here, here's what you agreed to before you've come. And it's either that or it's go home. And we've, people have chosen to go home. 
unity of effort, very similar to the focus, but people need to work together. The hardest thing on a team is working together. Um, clicks can form. You want to you break that down. You want to really focus on having your team work together. I've, I've, had, uh, I've got a few team leaders who do the obvious. Well, most of our team leaders, I've got about 45 or 48 volunteer um, team leaders for global health outreach, and we intentionally pair people up. Of course, you're sleeping in the same room with somebody else, so that's, that's your overt buddy. But we have covert buddies where, where the team leader will go around and say, I know you're sleeping in the same room as him, but I'd like you also to keep an eye on him. And if you see anything going on with him that maybe makes you think that he's having a rough time, he's getting depressed, he's really getting tired, let me know, and we'll work on that. I've gone into um, one of my docs who's working in a tent that's 100, where it's 110 degrees, and fortunately somebody pointed this out to me because I'm not sensitive enough to notice it myself, but they said so-and-so is having a tough time. So I'd go get my tools. I was working in the pharmacy at that time um, in, uh, in Afghanistan because we didn't have a pharmacist, and I just went in and said, they need you out at the pharmacy and took over. So just by giving somebody time off, have them go take a potty break, have them go, uh, go work in the pharmacy, go take a little bit of a walk. We don't walk very far at our, in our teams in Afghanistan, but, but there are places where you can walk a little bit farther. But just get somebody out of their, their uh, um, area where they're really working too hard. Often they're working back as if they're responsible for seeing all the patients in line, as we all have uh, tend to do in the U.S. You, you look out the door and you see... As far as you can see, there's a line of people, and that's not the point. The point is, is uh, getting up close and personal with the person in front of you. And then a big problem area is folks are unprepared for cross-cultural service. Lots of things change when you go across cultures. Uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday, but you need to be able to sit in someone else's seat. What you see depends on where you sit. You need to sit in their seat. You need to wear their clothes. You need to eat their food. You need to suffer from their diseases, which you may get if you eat their food the first time. <laughs> and um, you need to understand their pressures. You need to understand what's important to their boss. You need to understand that they're threatened with death if something happens while you're just threatened with a bad day or having somebody say negative things about you. They could be assassinated. That really changes the focus um, of, of what they do and why they do it. So it's really important to be able to understand a whole lot more about working Cross cultures. We we go to great extent uh, in trying to do uh, cross cultural education for folks, and we often find nobody reads anything we send in the mail, so we don't even do that anymore. We uh, we send email; doesn't get opened. Um, most cross cross cultural education starts the uh, evening after the first day of clinic in some of our countries, because that's the first time some people are really focused in on what we're talking about. I would suggest that that's too late. We're trying to push information out earlier. I'm trying to uh, raise enough money to, to uh, create two or three minute snappy YouTube videos that some of you guys will watch on your smartphones. Um, maybe some of you are watching those right now because this is pretty boring. But uh, um, the, the need is to be prepared because it's not a vacation. It's, it's, uh, you, can, you can really foul things up for people who are coming behind you. You can really make a real uh, huge difference in your life and your, in your experience if you are prepared. Next area, next potential uh, problem area is with, uh, with your national partner. 
if you have not had good discussions, if you're leading your your um, short-term team and you haven't had uh, a good discussion of your your mutual expectations, what do you expect of of uh, him or them, and what can he expect of you? Then, Houston, we have a problem. Now, very often you're working with people who are from a high context culture. They get more, there's more communicated in body language and nonverbal behavior than in words. Most of us from the, uh, from the U.S. are low context. What I say is what I mean. Don't worry about my eye contact, my tone of voice. You could read it in an email and it would be just the same as if it came directly from me. But in many cultures, it's dramatically different than that. You go to many places and they say, yes, of course. And that means, yes, I know it's important to you for me to be saying yes, so I'm saying yes right now. And then you think that they've lied to you. Well, no, actually, they've given you the answer that their culture expects them to give you. Um, It's fascinating to do this. And it's absolutely overwhelming at times. But uh, it's a lot of fun, um, different in many different settings. Uh, one of my resources, I think, I think uh, one of the books even has a website that we'll talk a little bit more about. Uh, no, it doesn't. So I'll tell you about it right now. The the uh, guide to read is Hofstede, H-O-F-S-T-E-D-E. And uh, his name is Gert, G-E-E-R-T. And if you Google that name, um, one of the couple, first couple of hits will be his website where he talks about cross-cultural dimensions or cultural dimensions or something like that. He wrote a book called Software of the Mind, and he's got on his website five different cultural indicators, power distance, uncertainty avoidance, um, masculinity, which really just has to do with how feelings-based the culture is, um, couple others that are failing me right now, but you can plug, you can, you can plug in your home culture. Uh, individualism is one of them, individualism versus collectivism. You know, who, what country in the world ranks highest on individualism? Well, you're sitting in it right now. And many others, um, collectivism is much more important. But you can enter in your home, co- your home country and then the country where you're going, and you can see where there's a big difference between the two of those. And those are going to be the areas where you're going to have some real challenges. Um, he's written a number of books that are about this thick, but he's also got one web page that's about this long, and you can learn all of that, learn little blurbs about these five cultural dimensions. Can you repeat that again, please? Hofstede, H-O-F-S-T-E-D-E, Gert, G-E-E-R-T. Culture of the, or software of the mind is another thing to Google, and when you start seeing uh, Gert Hofstede, he's not Irish, by the way. Um, that's nor- um, um, he's Dutch. So we'll, if you can't easily find it, email me, donald.thompson at cmda.org, and we'll, I'll, help you, I'll help you find it. Um, national partner, lots of fun, very important. Really get to know your national partner. And your national partner needs to be able to know you enough. He's going to be um, quite uh, savvy of your incessant demand for being on time, your insistence on, on speaking very clearly in English about what you want and what you expect from him or her, and your um, 
requirement that finances be accounted down to the last penny. Um, that doesn't work in most parts of the world. So, so uh, when you have a good national partner, they know that you've got your own baggage and that's some of the areas of your own baggage. But you do need to have some discussions about expectations. You have some discussions about roles and responsibilities. They really need to know if you've got some specialized requirements. If you need gas, if you need oxygen and you need nitrous oxide, it's got to have certain fittings. Um, it's important to, to uh, make sure that what you're taking fits onto their tanks. Digital photos are great for that. You can, get, you can learn a lot from digital photos. Um, spiritual preparation with your national partner is very, very important. We send teams to 26 countries. We've sent a team to a certain country five years in a row, seen hundreds of people come to Christ over those five years. But then the, the three or four churches that were helping us had no change in their membership over those five years, and there weren't any new churches planted. Now, I'm not an accountant, but I'm thinking that there's a little bit of a disconnect there because either the conversions happened and these people were just left without any kind of uh, follow-up or, or discipleship, or they, hey, Andy, welcome home. Um, Andy's jet-lagged. He'll be asleep in a minute. Um, or, or they are um, they're either not getting any follow-up, any spiritual follow-up, or perhaps they didn't really come to Christ, or perhaps there are some other churches that are being planted. Anyway, it bears some questions about really what, what's uh, going on. It's well worth um, exploring. And then the uh, third area, so problem area number one is within the team itself. Problem area number two is with national partner. Problem area number three has to do with your patients, with all the medical, surgical, dental care, and then the uh, local environment in which you're you're operating. You want your witness to be positive. In in, uh, certain cultures, in a country that I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, we don't have direct conversations with people in this country about Christ. We are being watched. We're being watched more by the people who work with our national partner. I believe that our national partner is uh, is a follower of Christ, um, though many of the people who are employed in their organization are probably not. And they are watching us. They're watching our team on how we get along, how we interface. If we're, if we're uh, sniping at each other, we're not working together, then that sends a very strong message that this God we're talking about really isn't all that important. The uh, care you want to apply needs to be culturally appropriate. Uh, we tend to not take any hypertensives or, uh, or hypoglycemic, oral hypoglycemic agents to treat diabetes. Um, because there needs to be follow-up for that. Now, if somebody is able to get that follow-up or they come in and they're already on this medication and they're looking for refills, they're looking for a supply of that medication, then that may be appropriate. Um, we, don't want to, we don't want to overtly disrupt the, medical, the local medical economy. There's a well-documented case uh, in uh, a malaria endemic area in Africa that uh, there was an economy of of selling insecticide impregnated bed nets for malaria treatment, for malaria prevention. And uh, some, some uh, very good-hearted people from over here um, said, well, we want to stamp out even more malaria. So we took up collections and bought all kinds of uh, impregnated bed nets and sent them over and gave them out. And within about six months, the uh, malaria rates were going up. 
There were a lot of bed nets that were being used for fishing nets and for clothes hangers. And then there were two or three guys who were now unemployed who used to sell impregnated bed nets. So they undermined undermined the local economy by giving away things for free where there was already a market. And then they uh, gave people things rather than having people invest in them. So um, you saw the – you've probably seen go by the name of the book uh, or or, – Brian Fickert's going to be talking next year. I've seen his name up there already. He wrote When Helping Hurts, and that's one of the very important uh, resources that talks about undermining dignity when you give somebody something where instead they should, be, they should be earning it. They should be contributing towards it. People value things more if, it, if uh, you give it to them. I mean, if they earn it, if they uh, put out for it rather than you give it to them. That's why you guys are welcome to come over and spend the night at our place. We'll... You can stay for weeks. We'll feed you, but I'm not paying tuition. I have to draw a line somewhere. Same thing with dependency. Dependency is very tightly linked to that. Um, the challenge with um, any kind of medical, dental, or surgical mission is that we're providing a, a, a care that is often regulated in just about every country where we work, and it should be. It's very tightly regulated in our country. We have, we have uh, state boards of, of uh, medical examiners. You've got to get licenses. You've got to get credentials and privileges at your local facility. Food and Drug Administration has a lot to say about medications. And many of the countries where we work have similar uh, bureaucracies, bureaucratic structures that are there for, for protecting their people, and it's protecting them from good-hearted um, folks who are coming in but uh, maybe bringing in expired medications or, or stuff that we get out of our sample closet and take and you're barely taking enough to treat them and certainly not enough to, to put them on anything long term. So a big problem area with going in is trying to sneak stuff in, trying to stay, take stuff in that's expired. I just had a conversation this morning with someone over expiration dates we know that expiration dates, if you, if you store your medications in a temperature-controlled, humidity-controlled environment, that those expiration dates can be – those medications can still be effective five years, ten years later. You can take surgical supplies, surgical um, – or other, other supplies and re-sterilize them. But the problem is the bottle, the package has on it expires thus and such. And therefore, if you're giving that to someone and it says expired, what kind of message are you sending? You're sending a message that you're not worth getting something that is current. You're giving them the, the uh, hand-me-downs. So we need to move away from the scientific aspect of this. I know the medication may still be good. I'll still take it, but I can't send it into another country. Most countries, re- many re- countries now are requiring things to have 12 months on um, out on their expiration date. So if we have a team going in to a, a country on the 15th of November, the expiration date has to be December of 2012. So we're buying, we're buying all of our stuff this next week for a dozen trips in Nicaragua next, next year. And so everything's it, it's hopefully going to get in country by January, and so it will all say January 2013, and we'll be good for um, a year from January 2012 when it enters in which really puts a cramp on your style if you're into collecting medications from pharmaceutical representatives or from your local Walmart, because what do they want to give you? They want to give you the stuff that they can't sell anymore. It's a real challenge when you're buying, 
we, um, we rub on some of our pharmaceutical suppliers because they don't care about expiration dates. We have to collect, we have to send packing invoices that have the expiration dates down 45 days in advance before our team ever goes to get it impro- approved by the Ministry of Health and then the ministry that handles customs and immigration. Or we get held up in customs, and that really ruins at least your weekend, sometimes the whole, sometimes the whole trip. So that's, a, that's another big problem area is the, is the, the challenge with the government, government requirements. So what's the framework for improving? One, you really want to focus on building your team. That means building your team spiritually, culturally, and professionally, all three of those areas. You want to build your relationship with your national partner. So select a partner who has vision and focus or with whom you can work to build those, those two things. And often it will be a matter of building over a, over a number of years. You want to agree on expectations, on roles, on in-states. Um, you want to identify areas where possible where you can build capacity. If you're going to go in and muck up the local economy, um, you need to have a very frank discussion with your national partner about what, what's likely to come out of that. Um, and then you really need to... Uh, develop a knowledge base of what the host country's requirements are for licensing. We, we go to countries in Africa where you have to have a tempor- temporary medical license or a dental license. It costs 150 bucks. That kicks up the project fee a bit by 150 bucks for every, every uh, physician and dentist. There's a country where, where our team leader is an osteopath. Difference between MD and DO in the States, pretty much nil. Difference in India, yeah, well, the, the team leader was an osteopath. The medical license went to, the, to an MD on the team, even though the team leader is a DO. Um, some countries, only one dentist and only one physician on each team need to have that license. You need to know these kind of things. And you also need to know that they change on a daily basis. We, had a, uh, we have a team that's in, uh, in Africa right now um, where between the Friday before they left and the Friday that they did leave, three times the team almost got canceled because of changing regulations, changing requirements on, on people getting in, getting work permits, and uh, customs requirements for medications. The uh, team leader remarked to me that uh, in an email, I didn't want to talk to him, uh, he said sleep is overrated. So... It's important to know that stuff so that you can at least do a little bit of prediction and preparation. We're going to start uh, having all of our team members do two extra passport photos and send them in to us, and we're going to start sending those ahead when we FedEx our package two months in advance to our national partner. Not that, not that they're always going to need it, but if they have it, at least when, uh, when they go in on Friday and the team's arriving on Saturday and then the uh, – the uh, customs folks or the health, the Ministry of Health folks say, "Oh, you got to have this." Then they'll be able to pull it out, pull it out of their sleeve. Team building, uh, this is a no-brainer. But a dysfunctional team or somebody that has one, a team that has one or two bad apples, openly bad apples, are going to ne- negate a lot of your positive preparatory work. So again, it's the sheep, the pre-sheep, the goats, and the wolves. You got to be prepared for that. If you don't have much of a spiritual focus, then there's little difference between your, short, your short-term medical missions team and another 
uh, team that has that's doing it for their own glory. Um, pre pre uh, pre trip early engagement's crucial. Um, there's something called skyping out there now. I Skype with my grandson. That's about it. But uh, doing webinars or, or group Skypes, I think group Skypes are still just verbal unless you pay. Um, but uh, that's one way of, uh, of doing some early engagements. Um, important to clar- clarify focus, to really set goals, establish some parameters. Uh, you really want to build prayer support teams. I, um, I spoke with someone who wanted to go on a, a uh, trip um, to a country that ha- is known for having a lot of uh, spiritual oppression and voodoo. And um, this young lady's application, it was pretty clear that she was not a sheep. She may have been a pre-sheep. She probably wasn't a wolf. Um, talked to her a little bit on the phone. The team leader wasn't real comfortable with taking her because there's a, there is so much spiritual oppression on, this, in, on these teams. And um, we were able to turn it into an opportunity where he said yes. Her uncle actually has been, had been lobbying for her to go because he thought she was a pre-sheep and she was just teetering right on that edge of becoming a sheep. And uh, so by some conversations, first from me and then from, her, from the team leader, and a couple of good resources out there talking about spiritual things. Um, there's some, uh, some guy who wrote a book about 60 years ago in the U.K. who, who uh, wrote a book about radio broadcasts that he did during World War II, and you guys all know C.S. Lewis. He wrote a very easy book called Mere, Mere Christianity. Since we're talking about spiritual oppression, he then follows it up with a wonderful, hilarious book called Screwtape Letters. So great books, great prep books for your pre-sheet. And if they're wolves, then hopefully they'll self-identify. And then you can shoot them. Um, prayer support teams, absolutely crucial. In this team-building process, you will learn the people where you're going to prepare, where Andy, who is the guy who forms the covert team um, support people, Andy's going to then say, you, need, you two people need to uh, – room together, but you two people need to be watching out for each other, or you need to be watching out for him, because you're going to learn that about them by interacting with them on, in your, in your pre-trip preparation. During the trip, um, we have twice daily meetings. We get up in the morning, we have breakfast and devotions, or have devotions and breakfast, and then in the evening we have, uh, we have um, get-togethers, people call them God sightings, various things. You don't do these things, you're becoming a, a secular group that uh, there's little difference from, from uh, many of the others that are out there. The buddy system I mentioned, praying with patience, really remind each other, walk around, observe. Um, when, when somebody's being really efficient seeing patients, that's great, but go listen and hang out and see what's going on. And really encourage people to pray with patience. We prayed with patience in Afghanistan. I, I uh, came in and was asked by, by uh, one of our OB gens to come in and pray with a young lady that she was seeing. And the translator was a very staunch Muslim. And I prayed a sentence and had the young lady translate. And then prayed another sentence and had the young lady translate. So we have numerous people that are hearing what I'm praying. So um, that that uh, really makes a difference when you're focusing on God, asking God to reveal his truth and the source of his hope and his compassion. And uh, um, 
that work doesn't doesn't uh, go out for naught. You want to have an acute awareness of what's going on. If you see um, things starting to smolder at an early an early part, you go ahead and make adjustments. We knocked off early some days. We we uh, stayed back and worked in the guest house one day. That was more because of uh, security reasons out in town. But um, then our national partner brought in patients for us to see. You may tell somebody to just sit back and and, uh, and snooze during the day because uh, they're getting a little bit tired. But have that kind of awareness. But then you really want to engage early because the, t- the point is team unity where the spirit can really work on, on building that building that team and really having an impact. And then post-trip, we don't do this very well yet. I'm still trying to figure out how to do this better. We're, we've got uh, um, a few teams where they're interacting by uh, – by uh, Facebook, by some private Facebook uh, um, forums, um, sharing testimonies of, of transformation after the fact. But I really want to challenge folks to go deeper in their spiritual walk, and we're working within the Christian Medical and Dental Associations to develop a, a curriculum, uh, a process that includes self-growth, self um Focused spiritual maturity, but then also focuses on practice and and uh, experiences that may involve ending up more in fuller time medical missions, or you may bounce in, um, get some benefit in certain areas that apply to you, and then spin off and go back into another another area. So, um, yeah, we we certainly haven't cracked that nut. And then your national partner building, again, if, if, uh, if your national partner is not working in, with uh, new believers in such a way that, that uh, they are getting solidly grounded in their faith, then, then they're susceptible to false doctrine. All too much of that out there. So you want to look for a national partner that's like-minded, that uh, has a focus on disciple-making. And disciple-making includes evangelism. It includes teaching. It includes baptism. It includes making more disciples, and of course, church planting is certainly one way you can measure that. You want to identify the key people with whom you're going to interface. They're going to be opinion leaders in communities where you're going to be working. Uh, Some of them may be obvious. Some of them may be elected officials. Some of them may just be old. Some of them may be young and charismatic. Um, Different people, though, who can influence growth, and you want to engage with them so that the influence can be spiritual growth. You want to agree to some... and to some degree, with your national partner on, again, those uh, roles, responsibilities, who's going to follow up with patients on, on new converts and how. You really want to partner with them on evangelism. You don't want to have them watching you do all the preaching. Um, we, we focus very hard on doing pastor's conferences or doing disciple, discipleship conferences. But it's, it's very quickly that the... Uh, See one, do one, teach one, where we mentor, we'll do a little bit. It's not that we never, we never evangelize, we never disciple, but it's so much more important to train folks on how to do that in a way that they learn. Some of you are probably learning something um, because the American way is, of learning is often very didactic or reading, but in many countries where people are, people are oral learners, they learn more by storytelling, by poems, by songs, by doing. 
So, so you have to uh, adapt appropriately to that. There are some uh, good training courses out there that are very didactic that can, uh, can teach you that if that's the way you learn. Um, really focus on practical training. If, if your national partner has a particular need in a particular area, you may have someone with a strength for that, and then you'd uh, pair them up. But then when you engage in a certain country and or a certain area with your national partner, you agree right up front. You start to discuss right up front when you're going to leave. Or is this going to be just an open-ended commitment? You, you want to have some kind of a transition to local control strategy. I use the military term of exit strategy here. But when are you finished? We feel that we're finished at GHO when other groups can come in and can provide medical, surgical, dental capacity, and when our toolkit of medical, surgical, dental capacity is no longer essential to open doors to get into hard-to-reach areas, then we very gently step out, step out, and we go and try to find other hard places. Andy found some hard places. The last few weeks, we're going to start to explore. We're exploring others, and some of those will eventually post, but maybe not, because we're going more and more towards a 1040 window where we just don't talk about these things. So national partners, one of the most important aspects of what you do. And then, and then uh, building medical capacity, you really need to educate providers on what's culturally sensitive. You need to to walk around and, and watch. If you've got somebody who's writing six prescriptions for every patient, that might be a little bit much, um, though I don't call uh, deworming. Pretty much everybody needs to be dewormed in many of the areas we go. Non-steroidals do a lot, and so do vitamins. Um, just as you're identifying key opinion leaders um, for your spiritual focus, you identify those key officials and and in government, local government, national government, and then in other uh, non-governmental organizations there with whom you might partner. You want to pair providers, U.S. and national providers. Um, that's a great way to mentor and disciple, and it's a great way to have your life changed thoroughly when you, when you learn so much from others. Give uh, real-time feedback Every night, um, part of our God sightings is usually a little five-minute report from, from whoever's running our pharmacy on what we've got, what we're running out of, um, what might be over-prescribed, over what we might have to separate or what we might have to substitute. And then where there are the opportunities, really partner for, for education. Once you've educated somebody, they never lose that. They'll get worms again. They'll get, uh, they'll get their otitis again or diverticulitis or whatever. But once you've educated them, once they have been educated in something that they can use and apply locally, they're not going to lose that. So that's a, um, a very important aspect of uh, having a sustainable impact. I've got a couple of slides of common areas of difficulty. Um, you will be tripped up on money. We have a very right-wrong um, way of looking at things rather than honor, shame, or Power, fear, those are really three worldviews. There's right, wrong, um, guilt, what's, there's another way of expressing it. There's a book out there called Honor and Shame, and it's really focused on evangelism in an honor-shame culture, but he really talks about the other two worldviews, and you can apply that in lots of other areas than just evangelism. Um, 
And then one of the books I do have on my additional resources slide in a sec talks about money. But when, when you're trying to focus on $5 or, or 50 cents and you, you learn a lot that the culture you're in, you're working in, if someone has money and then a family member comes up and has a need, they are obligated, the person with the money is obligated to help them with that need. Families come out of the woodwork when, some, when you send over hundreds of thousands of dollars in advance, so some kind of adjustment is necessary. Scope of practice is another big area. If you're, if you're over as a full-time medical missionary, you're going to have a different scope of practice than somebody that we're going to take on a short-term trip. Our, our rules of engagement on short-term trips is if you are credentialed to do it at home, you can do it on our short-term trips. If you're not, don't. I don't pull teeth. I don't lift lids. I've delivered babies a long, long time ago, and as all you women know, I didn't really deliver the baby. I was just there to cut the cord and slow down the, slow down the uh, placenta when it, when it was delivered. Um, but there are things that I just won't do. On, on a short-term trip, the rules are different. Spiritual accountability and oversight, practice accountability, and then fiscal accountability, those are all challenging areas. And it's very difficult when, when you'll have a lone ranger go in there and really really uh, go off and, and do things their way where they haven't been that, that uh, experienced or exposed. Okay, there's my list of... Uh, Additional resources that I promised you. I mentioned a few others. Um, questions, comments, criticisms, complaints. I just, Sir. I just wonder, you talk about the developing this relationship with your national uh, partner. But how do you do that? I mean, you usually meet them when you get there, don't you? I'm going to Guatemala on Wednesday for two days of site survey visits to meet three different doctors in three different hospitals, facilitated by someone else who's already in Guatemala. So, no, I, we never go cold. We always send over um, one or two or three people who have been there, done that. Um, Andy's done some site survey. Well, that's, that's what you were doing the last two weeks, poking around. Someone goes ahead, but, but the doctors you take over may not know those people. That's right. I mean, you can't do it. Twice wants to set it up and wants to go to actually do it, right? No, the the person the person or few people who go ahead to to uh, okay, so get in all the interactions with the national partner, then they are the they are then responsible for educating the full team before that team goes over. Good idea. Another hand, yes, sir. When you do short-term medical clinics, you do pharmacies. Do you charge or do you do it free? Uh, the question was, do we charge? We take our lead from our national partner. Um, often, it's for free. Often, it's for free. You talked about Guatemala. Bingo. That's right. I mentioned that with insecticide impregnated bed nets. If it's free, if it's, uh, it becomes a fishing net. So that's, an ongoing, that's an ongoing issue. When we were in Ethiopia, kids come in with uh, malaria, Go over to the lab. If it's uh, if it's falciparum malaria, they get their their artemisinin free because it's funded by through the World Health Organization. If it's uh, Vivax, then they're given a piece of paper, a prescription to go across the street and get chloroquine. They don't have chloroquine. They don't have money to go across the street and get chloroquine. We provide that chloroquine for free. Yeah, it's a, it's a conflict. We we are usually treating people who don't have any money and don't have the 50 cents or a dollar that it would that it would uh, uh, 
that might be a reasonable amount to come in. But we really, again, we, that, that varies every place we go, and we take the lead from our national partner on what's the best way. Do you always um, take it, like, uh, the pharmaceutical supplies in, or you sometimes uh, buy locally? The question was, do we take our drugs in or do we buy them locally? It depends on what the country requires. Mexico requires you to buy things there, and Nepal requires everything to be blister-packed. So we don't, you can't find very many blister pack medications here in the States. It's cheapest for us to buy them in mass in the Netherlands and have them shipped directly to the country in advance. We just are placing our order right now for a dozen teams to Nicaragua. But that's for, that's for a dozen teams. That's not for the other 36 teams. So a lot of our stuff we buy here in the States, and then, and then we ship it to our, all of our team members, and everyone has an extra suitcase that weighs 49 pounds. Sir? So, Preach and Heal by Charlie Fielding. Other questions? Ma'am. A little bit louder. The question was, do we do country-specific training? We, we try to. Um, in some of our countries, we've got great in-country uh, partners. We've got... Uh, When we were working in Honduras, many of you guys work with Brent Hambrick. He would come and do a medical orientation because he's a full-timer in Honduras. Um, we'll have other docs that, that uh, will we'll meet with us the, the day before or the morning of. People who have been there before can, can do that kind of thing. We try to do that. Anybody in the hinterlands with any questions? Yes, ma'am. Uh, question is, what are nurses doing? Nurses who are not nurse practitioners? Yeah. Nurses, I have nurses uh, giving injections. We have nurses certainly doing triage. I have nurses keeping me out of trouble because they have more of a sensitivity to, well, that person over there is really sick. By looking at them, that person over there is making a lot of noise and isn't. Um, those kind of things. A lot of, lot of triage, a lot of making sure things are running efficiently. Is that fit? If, it's a, if we're doing a surgical team, of course, and they're OR nurses, then, of course, they're running the OR, just like they do back home. Right. When we do not have a pharmacist, then somebody else runs the pharmacy. And uh, we've got some nurses who, who run pharmacy. We've got people who are – I've run the pharmacy before. We've got people who, are, who, are, uh, who don't have medical training who run the pharmacy. But that's with, very, with, that's with good oversight from the medical director. That's right. It's Sir. Probably not of general interest, but I'm going to Taiwan to try to get Taiwan medical people involved in foreign missions. Mm -hmm. uh, would the CMDA be able to perhaps help them set up a system for doing short-term from we Taiwan to some other countries? We'll be glad to engage with any of the international CMDA chapters or there are, and most countries have one. Okay, thanks for your time and attention and hope to see you on one of our trips.